Welcome to the 214th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. This is the second installment in our continuing series on our Minnesota future, an exciting statewide initiative the Land Stewardship Project helped launch recently. The guiding principle of our Minnesota future is that regular people and organizations representing the interests of these people need a stronger voice in our government. We need elected leaders who commit to govern alongside us and who work with us in deep partnership to create the changes we envision for people in the land. Besides LSP, 21 people's organizations are part of this coalition, including faith groups, environmental groups, organizations that work in communities of color and immigrant communities, as well as labor unions and progressive organizations. Together, we seek to build people-centered governing power to address the critical issues our people and communities face. In Ear to the Ground number 213, I talked to LSP Executive Director Mark Schultz about why an initiative like Our Minnesota Future is needed and the reasons for the Land Stewardship Project's involvement. This episode features Laura Frerichs, who, along with her husband Adam Cullip and sons Eli and William, raises organic vegetables on Loon Organics Farm near Hutchinson, roughly 70 miles west of the Twin Cities. Laura started farming in 2003, and she and Cullip launched Loon Organics in 2008. I chatted with Laura about how critical it is for beginning farmers to address issues such as gaining access to quality, affordable health care, as well as access to profitable local food markets. We also talked about how policymakers need to rethink what they consider to be quote-unquote real agriculture when developing policies that impact rural communities and the state in general. Laura started our conversation by giving a little background on her farm and the role it plays in the community. So I farm with my husband, Adam Cullop, and we have two little boys, Eli, who is six and a half, and William, who is two and a half. We started farming in 2003, was my first job at an organic vegetable farm, and I worked at Gardens of Egan basically just wanted to learn about gardening and was curious about farming, had no intentions of becoming a farmer or being a farmer, but it was mainly out of curiosity. That summer, I just loved the work. I was really interested and admired their their model and that they were providing so much food um, to the Twin Cities food co-ops, and um, really inspiring to see a farm operating on that scale. Uh, And so I was just interested to continue working on farms and get some more experience. Uh, I met Adam around the time that I started working at Gardens of Egan, and he was, um, we had both graduated from college, um, but grew up in Minnesota, so the Twin Cities was kind of our home base at that point. Uh, And he was in graduate school at the University of Minnesota um, in a public health program, and came out to the farm and grew up on a hobby farm near Wabasha and was just really floored by what they were doing. And we just don't see very many viable vegetable farms. So to, to be on one and to see that model was, was really cool for us. And so he ended up working on farms um, with me that following summer. And we worked on five different vegetable farms in the Midwest. We traveled in the winters to work on farms in California and Brazil, and then had the opportunity to rent some land from Gardens of Egan and start basically an incubator farm at their property. So we were pretty young. We were 25 um, and 26 at that time. This was in 2005. So 
not in the, didn't have the ability or the means or even the farming experience to purchase our own farm. And luckily, even though we were beginners, we knew that much and just was able to experiment and um, start to build our business a little bit there at Gardens of Vegan while still working for them, uh, making some money, learning more about farming, getting more experience and slowly built our business up there for four years. And it became apparent that this was something we enjoyed doing. Adam and I have really complementary skills for farming. So he's involved with the machinery and equipment, and I'm more involved with the plant care and production side of it. So it's a great match. We started looking for farms um, to, to purchase. And we looked, we started looking in kind of end of 2006, and we were looking near the Northfield area, kind of in southeast Minnesota, and really, you know, just it takes a long time to find a farm that's going to be a good fit for you, and that's within your price range. So we were very lucky to find this farm where we are at currently, um, currently just outside of Hutchinson, Minnesota. So we're 70 miles west of Minneapolis, and we were lucky to find a 40-acre farm that was already certified organic, operating as a, a small market garden farm a small vegetable farm just the timing worked out we were able to get financing through the farm service agency um, and things just clicked into place and we moved here at the end of 2008 so we uh, have been here on this farm for 10 years Uh, 2009 was our first growing season here and that was uh, a year of tremendous scaling up we both quit our off-farm jobs and plowed up eight acres that spring and luckily we were able to get in the fields and again just kind of blindly doing what we (laughs) didn't know was um you know just kind of doing it um with the, the that beginning mindset um now it scares it really scares me to think about trying to plow your fields in April if I think about this year that would have been a disaster We had a snowstorm on April, you know, 24th. We had 18 inches of snow on the ground. Since then, we've kind of built a a community-supported agriculture um, operation, and that is about 70% of our farm's income. And we've just kind of slowly scaled that up, building our our local base of members. We have about uh, 75 households locally that are members, and then another goodness, probably 125 households or 150 households in the Twin Cities that are getting vegetables from us um, throughout the season. Uh, And then we also have been involved with the Mill City Farmers Market in Minneapolis, and they are focusing on kind of sustainable, organic, and local farmers and food. And we've been there since 2006, so that's been a big part of building our business and um, getting our name out there and we go there every Saturday and and now Adam and I went for basically 10 years until we had our first child we went every Saturday and now we have a crew typically that goes um, and brings in produce and sells there a little bit of wholesale we do do a harvest for the hungry program which is Um, donating to food shelves and getting compensated for that, which is great. We usually do a few thousand pounds to the local food shelves. Um, But primarily CSA and Farmer's Market is our bread and butter. And of the 40 acres, there are about 10 acres that we have available for vegetables, eight acres that are in production, 
few other acres that are in cover crops each year and rotated, and then 10,000 square feet of hoop house space. So growing 50 different types of crops, very diversified, uh, usually seven or eight employees who are working with us um, throughout the summer on the farm and at market. Kind of looking a little bit at the your history and your trajectory in farming, you kind of got involved at a time when the local food movement really was taking off, it seems like, and that there just was, and I know we saw this, we've seen this through our Farm Beginnings program, a lot of interest on the part of younger people, maybe mid-career people, in getting involved in the local food movement. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about you, and you've had a lot of employees over the years, I think helped get some other farmers started. Is Are you seeing a lot of interest on the part of younger people to get involved with agriculture, to get involved with farming? And if so, uh, do you see, I guess, how do you feel about the opportunities that are available for them or what opportunities, if any, are available for somebody who, like you, wants to get started right now? You are right in that when Adam and I started working on farms, it was the the boom of the local foods movement. You know, in the early 2000s and mid-2000s, it was a great time to be involved with local and organic agriculture. It was a great time to get started into the market. There was a buzz about CSA farms, and there was a lot of interest and just support from consumers, customers, community members. I have seen that change as the markets have gotten more competitive, and by that I mean more grocery stores coming into the organic foods market, more competition within the grocery stores, more competition for food co-ops. Now we're competing with services, meal plan services like Blue Apron, which definitely market to a similar demographic and clientele of people who maybe before would have bought a CSA share. That hasn't, I would say, hasn't impacted too negatively our own business because we were able to get established and get a foothold before that kind of, and and really established relationships with customers. And that's what you're doing when you're direct marketing is you're getting a great customer relationship and they know your farm, they know your product, and you can keep them coming back if you're doing a good job. But I, I think it's a really challenging time to begin. And that coupled with the rising land prices and difficulty in accessing credit and just, you know, farming is a really difficult profession to get into if you aren't kind of grandfathered in with a family farm. And even if you do have a family farm, that has its own set of challenges and you know, probably is not a, a vegetable farm or probably is not organic or probably is not pasture-based, whatever you're looking at. I feel like it's certainly more challenging, but there is still interest. Um, and I think that that bodes really well for our movement. Like, I feel like this is where the energy is. The energy is in local foods and sustainable farming in regenerative agriculture and there are opportunities, but I think it's it's definitely harder for folks to get into it than when we were just starting, which is kind of amazing because it hasn't, you know, it's only been 10 years, and to see that change so dramatically 
Uh, and then it feels like right now we're on a trajectory where we're really going to have to be conscious about policy decisions and also just on a community level about shepherding beginning farmers and getting them onto the land. Um, and that's going to need to be a priority. Well, that dovetails really nicely with my next question, which is, and that's one of the things we're looking at with this Our Minnesota Future initiative, is what policy initiatives could help the next generation of beginning farmers. It's study after study, and anecdotal evidence shows that having more farmers in a community is good for the economy, it's good for the community. I'm seeing it right here. You guys have, I don't know how many full and part-time employees, like eight or so, you said? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so they're contributing to the local economy. You're contributing to the local economy and shopping on Main Street. So that that's, has been determined that that is better than having just a few mega farms in an area, that kind of thing. So really to, I guess, lift up the entire economy of the state, rural, urban, whatever, it, it's pretty clear we need more farmers on the land doing this kind of thing. Have you thought about what policy initiatives or what could be done by decision makers to help uh, clear some of those barriers or kind of help them take take advantage of some of those opportunities that uh, y you know that have benefit that you've benefited from, but uh, that you know there still is that potential. There's a, still a huge market for that. It's just how do we figure that out? That's a big question, and I think that it encompasses not only some really specific things. Um, I think if you look at at the major barriers, it's certainly access to land and access to credit, uh, and then access to the experience and technology needed and equipment and machinery um, needed, depending on what type of operation that you're running. So those are kind of like those very common identified barriers. And I think things like the beginning farmer tax credit is a great start for our state. But I think that we need to have our policymakers realize that this is, this is a huge challenge, this is a huge opportunity, and our resources and our whole thinking about agriculture in our state should be directed towards this problem. So, you know, there's, there's many challenges in agriculture right now, but I think that um, if there was greater awareness and an actual, you know, sitting down and having conversations with people about you know, what is it that we do need to do and how do we make that a priority in our legislature? Because I don't think that it has been, it's had, you know, it's, it's been fighting tooth and nail having groups like Land Stewardship Project elevate these issues and say, you know, this is what we need you to do. This is what we need you to talk about. This is what we need you to address. Other than kind of those very farming-related issues, the larger issues that many other families are facing and many other small business owners are facing that are policy related, like access to affordable, high quality health care, um, access to high quality, affordable child care. Broadband is an issue that I hear being brought up in rural areas. You know, if you're direct marketing, we're lucky to have good access to internet. But if you're in a more rural area, you don't have that. I mean, that's huge. You need that at all times available to you, mm -hmm. and that needs to be affordable. There, there is an issue with markets. We need to develop more markets for local food outside of just the Twin Cities, and even the Twin Cities, the kind of the typical marketing channels 
there's a feeling that they're becoming saturated. And so how do we open up new markets so that farms like ours can diversify or change our model? We can have new farmers. And, you know, that, that, is, that can be affected by policy. That can be affected by having local institutions buying a portion of their food from local farms. That can, be, that can be a goal, that can be a mandate. There's a lot of different forms for that. I hear from beginning farmers, like healthcare is huge. Um, and that's certainly been a challenge for our family, um, where I feel like if we would, if our healthcare situation would change and we would lose our Minnesota care, which we have right now, probably Adam or I, with two young kids, probably Adam or I would need to find a job with healthcare. And it would... I don't know if we would continue farming. We would probably continue farming on a hobby basis. And like that's not good. That's not that's not what we want to promote. That's not what we want our future to look like. Um, you know, I think if people want to be farming full time, they should have help doing that. So there's a lot of I think really some really practical things that would be helpful to a lot of Minnesotans, not just farmers many issues that overlap with small business owners. The kind of farming that you're doing is very management intensive. And so to have your attention divided by having, having to have a job in town to get health care, it's just very difficult. I know when LSP first got involved with the health care issue, a lot of people asked, well, why are you getting involved with that? And we realized it was, you know, one of our, part of our mission statement is to promote sustainable agriculture, local uh, family farm, type agriculture and lack of access to affordable quality health care was a big barrier because you're not able to do that kind of farming that where it requires the kind of management that's going to you know be good uh, for the community and for the land if you're got a town job and you're trying to farm at night or you have you don't have both spouses on the farm that kind of thing you probably are seen maybe amongst the farmers other beginning farmers you're working with I assume that that's a big issue for them, that this is kind of really overshadowing a lot of, of, of kind of their goals, their future goals a little bit. Mm-hmm. I definitely would say so. And, I mean, we're lucky in Minnesota that we have Minnesota Care. I think I've heard from farmers who farm in Wisconsin that they have a spouse who can't quit their off-farm job. Mm-hmm. Um, and And especially when kids are involved, like you realize, like, it's one thing if it's just your own health care, but when kids are involved and if you have any health issues in your family, like we have asthma in our family, and that's a really expensive thing to have. You need to have regular um, medications, and, and it would be, you know, it'd be like $500 if we had no health insurance, and it's just like at that point, it doesn't matter if we have a health savings account. It doesn't matter if we have it, if that's tax deductible. Like if you just don't have the income to pay for that on top of your premium and your doctor bills, doesn't matter. So like with something like that, it's like just because of that alone, that could dictate where we work and our profession. And so you see how just what a limiting, like what a limiting challenge it is. Mm-hmm. And what I really appreciated about the kind of going back to the our Minnesota future, and we came up at Land Stewardship Project came up with this value statement, and and the healthcare one I so appreciated because it acknowledges that 
we need a healthcare system that frees people up to do what they are good at and to be able to do what they want to do. Um, and I think for it's so true with farmers. There are so many people who would love to farm, but like they can't figure it out. They can't figure out the healthcare barrier. They can't figure out about what to do about retirement. Um, they can't figure out how to finance their farm. Like to have some of those barriers erased. But yeah, a, a particular beginning farmer couple who has gone through farm beginnings worked on our farm. I mean, specifically, they said healthcare. Healthcare is a huge reason why they are not farming, and they're they're waiting. They're waiting to save up money. They're waiting to find the right farm, have a off farm job specifically that they know they can get benefits from, mm-hmm. and it's it's a real thing. So I think that having conversation as we've had conversations with policymakers through some of the, our Minnesota Future events. That has been a common theme from all ages and types of farmers and small business owners that we have a healthcare crisis and it is affecting our local economy. And when we qualified for Minnesota Care, we pay a reasonable premium now. And that has freed up money for us to say, okay, we actually can invest some money in a retirement account, you know, which we des- farmers desperately need to be also saving for retirement so we don't have to rely on just our farms as our IRA. So some of these things where it's like it's a win-win, it's a win-win for farmers and for our communities and I think for our state, you know, for us to... <laughs> For us to be able to have access to that health care when we need it. One issue that I've heard for, that's come up for some farmers is because of the income yeah. limits that, that they've had to kind of look at, well, maybe we don't have, you know, as big a sales or has that been an issue for you guys? Or? Yes, and I wanted to mention that. So there's a cliff for Minnesota Care for the income limit because you get to, you know, for a family of four, I think it's. $42,000. If you go over that by $1, you don't qualify. And the income limits, you know, change every year. So it completely, unfortunately, it becomes a disincentive for us to grow our business, even with the help of Minnesota Care. I mean, it's still for a family of four, like not a lot of money for you to invest in the things that you want to. So even you know, if we have a good year and we could potentially get paid more, we can't. We've done the numbers. If we are going to buy health insurance for our family, we would need to potentially have $15,000 a year in additional income to pay for that. And that's really a big jump. That is something with the risks involved with farming that we haven't felt comfortable in saying like, yes, we can bump up that much even in a challenging year like this year, and be certain that we can cover those healthcare costs. And that's also without knowing what's gonna happen in the healthcare marketplace and what costs would be. So it is a, it's a huge disincentive. It's um, a problem. They need a sliding scale. You know, need to realize like it, for all farmers, I think even farmers that are making in a higher income bracket, like they should still be able to have access to it. And you just pay more. You pay more for your premium according to your income. Um, so yeah, it's a huge barrier. And so for many years, we didn't qualify. We couldn't 
even make as little as they were asking and support, like be able to pay our mortgage and support our family. Only when we had our fourth child were we like, oh, wow, we actually, now we qualify. And so it's a, it's a game, it's a game that you play. And so it's actually a really bad system, you know, where um, it's like, this is a great social service, but you're kind of playing into some of those stereotypes of social programs that it, it disincentivizes folks. Yeah, definitely something that needs to be changed and could be easily changed by the next governor or legislature. I mean, if we're just going to talk about Minnesota Care, I think definitely we need a sliding income scale. And I think that all farmers and business owners, it should be opened up to everybody so that anybody could buy into Minnesota Care if they didn't have access to other health care coverage through an employer. I think that publicly funded universal health care system for our state would essentially give us all the ability to have that freedom because you know it's it's a challenge for farmers and small business owners but there's also these people in the margins who are underemployed or taking care of children or disabled or not working for whatever reason, you know. So just the whole idea of having health care tied to your employer is a horrible idea, and it's just not working. So I think it's like there's that really practical thing that needs to be addressed within Minnesota Care, but I think that for our larger state, personally, that's where I think, think the way that we should go. To be brutally honest, when you go to public forums, candidate forums, or go to the the legislature in St. Paul and hear a lot of lawmakers talk about what they consider, quote-unquote, agriculture, it's not this kind of agriculture. Mm -hmm. It's the the big corn and bean system, the big uh, livestock operations. I'd like to have them come out here. This is real agriculture. You're feeding people. You're contributing to the economy. I guess give a, a pitch for what farms like this contribute to rural Minnesota and to the the state's economy in general? I mean, you don't need to cite specific numbers, but this, I think this argument needs to be made. Hey, look, your idea of real agriculture is pretty narrow Mm -hmm. and that this is, we're talking about real farming here. It isn't hobby farms. It's not just community gardens, that kind of thing. This is real agriculture. And there's a, a lot of ways that you can look at that for me, the way that I think about our current agricultural conventional system is that it's an extractive economy, and that product that is grown here leaves and goes who knows where all over the world, used for a variety of things, but not necessarily directly food. As those operations are getting bigger and bigger, you know that wealth is just becoming more concentrated, and it's not coming back in the same ways to our rural communities. If we want beginning farmers on the land, we also need to have vibrant communities where they want to live. And you don't have that if you don't have a hospital and if you don't have well-funded schools. And we get those things by having more people here and having more farmers contribute to our economy. So to have a small-scale farm like ours or even a mid-scale farm There's so many more dollars that are coming in and then being spent locally. And also just the civic participation in our communities is huge. Um, Because if I think about having five farms in a county, that means there are only five families that can help coach (laughs) T-ball. Plus the people in town um, 
which I happen to be involved with this year, farms, especially community-supported agriculture farms like ours, are interested in fostering and building community, and especially rural communities. And so not only through connecting people to their food, but also just being here, being involved, showing up, like being involved in the schools and the churches and the community activities and educating people on gardening and local food and the benefits of that. I think there's a tremendous opportunity when we talk about the challenges of not having markets for beginning farmers is that we are spending billions of dollars in our local southern Minnesota region on food that is leaving. And to be able to somehow connect the dots and make those connections, which have completely been severed um, for the most part, so that we can be purchasing more of our food locally and those dollars are staying here. Like the economic, there are so many different arguments for why it's good, but I feel like the economic argument for local food and local farms is really powerful. And that's something that lawmakers might be able to connect with and also might be able to talk to their constituents about um, so that it's less about like a sustainable versus conventional farming system and setting up all these dichotomies, but instead saying like, this is the, these are the benefits. This is why we need this here. Like this is going to benefit you in all of these different ways. This is going to benefit your community, which you care about and you live here and you have probably been here for a long time. That is, I think, the positive way that we can talk about beginning farmers and local foods and um, sustainable agriculture. Because, again, like I said earlier, that's where the energy is. That's where young people want to get involved. Certainly, probably, there's, there are some folks that want to get involved in, in traditional crop operations. But I feel like there are probably some farmers who feel like they're stuck in that system as well and would love to have an opportunity, you know, if it so presented itself um, to do things a little bit differently. Um, And we need people like us and other farmers to be models of how do you do that? What does that look like? Not everybody has to have 10 acres of vegetables and do a lot of manual labor. There's many other models for how to do this, and that's the beauty of it. But we need people to do that, to show and educate how we do that. It is really heartening to see coalitions being formed, like coming together around these shared values. And that gives me hope that some of the things that we've been, some of these solutions and challenges that we've been talking about which seem so large and the system seems so broken, the food system, the healthcare system, (laughs) the political system, it gives me hope that we can have people still engaged and like move policies forward that benefit regular people like us, Mm -hmm. like farmers and small business owners. And that is what I've really just loved being a part of and have never experienced anything quite like that before and I think that it's really savvy like it's the way that we're gonna be able to affect change Um, so I really appreciate that LSP decided to basically get in relationship with these other organizations which is a really diverse group you know so it's challenging sometimes to find those shared values but to be able to move forward on 
on those issues with a lot of people behind you. We've had these public forums. I know you have met with some of the gubernatorial candidates. Do you feel that they get a sense that this is a, I hate to use the word, but a groundswell of people who are kind of have some common themes that they're bringing up that saying, hey, look, we're going to be watching you. We really want some of these things addressed. I mean, I guess in general, what kind of a response do you feel like you're getting? Because it is easy to get cynical about that whole political process. But this, in some ways, is an acknowledgement that, hey, the system's broken, but it's not broken so badly that we can't have an impact. I mean, do you feel like you're having an impact here uh, so far or having some kind of influence a little bit? Definitely. They are listening. They're taking it seriously. They're responding. They're thinking about it. And I hear some of the challenges and issues that we've brought up being mirrored back in how they are talking about things Mm. and how they are you know, talking, like, basically their own narrative of what they see, the challenges and struggles and solutions going forward um, by Minnesota. So I think it's it's different levels of engagement, but they are very much taking it seriously. They're very much engaging. They're very interested, I think, in hearing from our perspectives and our experiences. And so... I think because of that, you know, and I think it's partly because we are part of the coalition of other organizations. However, you know, we are the most rural-based, rural-focused, so we can kind of speak specifically on these issues. It has felt serious. That has given me hope of, like, we're not, it's not just a echo chamber. We're not just talking to ourselves. That is real engagement with them and a real building of relationships, which as an individual, like that just is very daunting. That's really hard to do as an individual, no matter how politically involved you are, you know, and especially if you're busy running a business and you have little kids, it's hard to be really active. And, you know, to kind of look at the long game of it, I feel like these are important people who will be involved in policy in some way. So for them to have this knowledge is going to be beneficial no matter what they go on to do. One other thing that I think is really important that our Minnesota future, I think, is helping to combat is this idea of the rural-urban divide. Mm-hmm. That narrative is is present here. I hear it. It's very present in our political conversations. And I think we have way more in common than our differences And that's what's been interesting to me is as I've gotten involved with our Minnesota future and we've talked about shared values, you know, the the challenges of health care, child care, retirement, those are core challenges that people in urban areas struggle with as well. Mm -hmm. It's a way to unify us, um, but that's not how it's um, portrayed politically. I think any way that we can help bridge this perceived divide that's not true we are connected we need each other we need the urban areas and we need the rural areas as well Um, and we need we need our rural areas to be vibrant Mm -hmm. definitely that's something that I feel like we need rural folks to stand up and kind of make our voices heard and fight for our values and let people know like we are still here we still care we still we want good communities too and here's what we need and it's not in 
opposition to what you need, what you all need in the urban areas. Yeah, that we need more of that. We need more of that coalition building between urban and rural partnerships. For more on the Our Minnesota Future initiative, see landstewardshipproject.org and follow the links under the Organizing for Change tab. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank you.